Bing Crosby, Wrap Your Troubles and Dreams, Take Four. Castles may tumble, that's made after all. Really funny that way. Sang the wrong melody, we'll play it back. See what it sounds like, hey, hey. They cut out eight bars, the dirty bastard. And I didn't know which eight bars he was gonna cut. Why don't somebody tell me these things around here? Holy Christ, I'm going off my nuts. Uh, the last bastion of freeform. WCBN FM and Ava. Sounds like a bunch of left-wing hippies to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez, that mic is on. The mic's Bill. on. Oh my God! Turn off the microphone. Well, that's us, a couple of left-wing hippies. Uh, actually, neither one of us are really hippies. No. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim DeWire. Officially not a hippie since 1969 or something. Well, I was a deadhead. When I was six. A reggae head, but if you know me, I've always had kind of short hair. I'm a sort of jock-looking dude. Uh, So I've never been mistaken with hippies, but I've hung out with a lot, and uh, some are cool and some are not. It's just like any other... Well, hippies and punks, it's, uh, you know, they're it's large like groups. Any other subgroup in America, I'm always open-minded about people. Just don't show me tattoos to say, hey, man, I'm cool. <laughs> it's like, okay, you got tattoos. Well, tattoos for you. today have become de rigueur. Yeah. It's, uh, I think if you're older than a certain age, you may have one or two tattoos, but I think under a certain age, it's kind of culturally, it's become so anyway, almost obligatory. To get at least a few. Yeah. and yeah. Just, no, no judgments on my part, just a statement of... Just don't be Roger Stone and get a know. tattoo of Nixon on your back. That uh, oh. is a monkey on your back you may not want to uh, sleep on, as they say. Uh, unless you do one of those uh, Mad Magazine fold-in style tattoos where you could have Nixon and then you scrunch your shoulders back and it puts him behind bars. <laughs> right. There you go. <laughs> And, of course, uh, Roger Stone is part of the ongoing investigation, if you actually read the Mueller report. Well, it becomes it's part clear. of the redacted. Yeah, some of the portions, redactions you know. become clear in that context, like, oh, these are referencing the Roger Stone matter because of the WikiLeaks connection. And, of course, that'll be coming up later this summer. August, I believe, is when the Roger Stone trial uh, commences. Yeah, and... You know, the the thing that's interesting about some of the um, attempted efforts at obstruction of justice, if you actually start reading some of the uh, highbrow legal analysis of it, it's it's really about uh, Trump sending out signals, you know, about pardons and contacts behind the scenes with lawyers talking to, to lawyers of people that are in hot water meeting with the uh, special... Uh, prosecutor and that sort of thing. Whether Mueller ever testifies, I don't know. Kind of strange to <laughs> to see John Dean uh, testifying today. He's a respectable well, individual. But uh, speaking of Nixon, uh, yeah. his ghost lingers large over the proceedings here. Uh, I watched uh, 
couple of hours worth of that uh, committee hearing today. And John Dean got some, you know, good little sure. zingers in there. Uh, very understated. He's he's definitely not there to play for laughs. Um, but it's kind of hard not to laugh at the way that some of the Republican members of that committee, the judiciary, House Judiciary, uh, I mean, let's face it, uh, all politicians will grandstand from time to time. Committees happen to be a platform through which it, it probably happens most often. But there's, you know, grandstanding for some sort of specific point, And then there's just sort of weird, almost freakouts like Louis Gohmert's. Uh, but it, you can always count on Louis Gohmert for oh, some yeah. sort of a, a intellectual spasm. Uh, Jim Jordan's uh, bizarre assertions that uh, uh, John Dean is a well-known liar and he went to prison. John Dean said, I did not go to prison. Well, you pled guilty. Well, yes, I did. <laughs> but uh, they don't really have an understanding of the background. And uh, Matt Gates from Florida's little rant accusing John Dean of, why, you're nothing more than a charlatan, sir. You've spun a cottage industry out of comparing people to Nixon. And, uh, of course, the response wasn't really given because it wasn't really a question. And <laughs> But uh, some of these uh, younger members... Uh, they don't know nothing about Watergate. Well, they don't. And the thing that uh, it's, it's very relevant to remember about Dean, he was given immunity. He does not. He's not analogous to Mueller. He's more analogous to a, a lawyer like John Dowd or uh, um, Ty Cobb. <laughs> I reached a point where I thought it was amusing how many of the. Uh, <clears throat> Trump lawyers were named after baseball players. <laughs> well, Emmett Flood. Dowd had the big old, you know, twirly-do mustache, too, the old waxy walrus. Don't, don't call me Kurt Flood. But but you, you can't compare John Dean to Michael Cohen either, because no. when John Dean saw the cards that were in everybody's hands, he was the one who said, uh, stop, I got to get out of here. Sure. And began to uh, cooperate immediately. Well, he realized, if you if you read his accounts of Watergate, that they were trying to set him up as the fall guy and he just wasn't going to fall for that literally so he requested immunity he did plead guilty i think he probably paid a substantial fine and yes he may have been disbarred for a while but my god uh with shakespeare <laughs> kill all the lawyers right uh lawyers have, uh are important but uh, many of them are <laughs> a little shady uh, but, yeah, I mean, a strange week uh, with Trump in Great Britain and the D-Day stuff and texting behind graveyards about Bette Midler and Chuck Schumer and Trump's usual performance. With this strange uh, end-of-the-week thing with Trump after he inflicts himself with this, he throws out the tariff thing right oh, before right. he left for England. And it's important after a while to understand how he operates. This is just the trial balloon nonsense that he gets away with all the time. He wants to change the narrative. And I think it's amusing now that uh, the reports are coming out that this Oberdor uh, border uh, security agreement had been negotiated quite some time ago. And, uh, in fact, I heard um, the... Uh, a former foreign minister of Mexico to uh, 
I, I basically heard him on the BBC noting that uh, uh, this this National Guard, and that's the word that they're using, consists of a lot of retired police officers. Mexican police officers are notoriously corrupt. And it sounded to me more like an F troop, old Navy operation. <laughs> uh, you know, if you look on a map, Mexico's got uh, about 5,800 miles of coastline. <laughs> so I don't know if Sarah Palin can relive Paul Revere, you know, with the bell and the. And I mean, let's be clear that this. Well, one if by land, two if by sea. Right. <laughs> this force is ultimately really so far just something that Mexico says it will assemble to sure. do this. So mm -hmm. they've figured out the routine too. pretend to do something, allow the cosmetic nature of the pretend to uh, take on the glossy veneer of reality. And then later when it's revealed that nothing in fact actually happened or changed, uh, create a new scenario. Yeah, and Obrador, I mean, they've, you know, he's the new president of Mexico. Important to remember that the Mexican presidents do not run for re-election. Uh, they are only allowed one term, a six-year term. So Obrador is interested in, in real domestic reform uh, within Mexico, particularly the oil economy. So I think that he's willing to throw cosmetic bones. Sure. To Trump. Um, but, I, I, you know, the devil's going to be in the details. Uh, this this tariff uh, trial balloon thing is just simply something that's not working for Trump. I, you know, he just doesn't have a good understanding of, of any of the trade issues at all. You know, it's interesting that he visited Ireland. And I don't know if you've looked up the trade statistics but America actually has a fairly substantial trade deficit with Ireland. It's almost as high as Mexico. And that is because many multinational corporations moved <clears throat> small manufacturing operations to Ireland uh, during the financial crisis and even before because the Irish have well-educated workers that speak English. And the comparative cost of labor is much lower. Um, so there's a lot of technology companies that are, uh, in particular, making components in Ireland. But you didn't hear a word about the trade deficit when Trump was in Ireland. No, you heard about the wall. And you don't hear anything about Bizarrely. the trade deficit with Israel. Um, instead, Trump gives us this big claim. Oh, boy, I'm going to come up with a great trade deal for Great Britain after Brexit. And I'm like, uh, what do you have in mind? I mean, <laughs> British farmers are not going to buy American soybeans. Uh, gun violence is not an exportable product. <laughs> the last time I checked. Um, what, it, what on earth is he going to export to Great Britain? We actually have a very balanced trade situation with England. If you go back, Great Britain, and if you go back and you look over the years, it's one of those interesting countries where it's almost a wash every year. We buy and sell almost the same amount of uh, goods to England. Now, where England is important, Great Britain, is in the area of investment. Uh, they invest, and we invest, quite a lot of money in their economy and vice versa. But this is that the capital arrangement between Great Britain 
and the United States is far more important than a merchandise trade deficit that Trump is endlessly talking about. Well, look at the total trade with the EU. It's it's significantly higher than uh, with Mexico and Canada combined even. Um, so once again, Trump is a is is he's just out there in a kind of a strange world of self-promotion. And I just think it's fascinating that uh, what he did in response to the New York Times reports about the fact that uh, there was no secret deal, <laughs> that there was a deal made months ago, quite openly, uh, reported on extensively. And um, what does Trump do? He attacks the New York Times and says, another false report in the failing New York Times, Mr. Trump tweeted, uh, the Times issued a statement standing by its article. We are confident our reporting, as as so many other on so many other occasions, our stories stand up over time, and the president's denials of them do not. <laughs> they just don't. They never do. No, and it's again. Here's the the other pattern that has emerged is the reality TV fabrication fake cliffhanger. That's yes. oh, we're going to create a situation, hype it. The you know the caravan was one such. Oh, we'll make up this thing, say it's a thing, complain all the time about the thing, and then selectively piecemeal release the bits of information that have already, you know, existed as though it's a surprise ending and trying to paint a, a victory out of something that's really, there's been no change whatsoever. Yeah, and I think that when, when they've done analysis of the caravan story, that that sort of originated as a <clears throat> Fox News piece that was promoted by good old Tucker Carlson. And Fox's news is obsessed with the, with the border. Um, Trump's campaign promises uh, that the border is going to be built and Mexico is going to pay for it and all that is just not going to ever happen. Oh, um, he's already built big chunks of that wall. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the the extent of the lying about it. Just, and oh, yeah. How fascinating just a couple of weeks ago that, that there was a story about some private people that decided to start building a wall uh, in violation of basically municipal laws in the area. That is, they didn't get permits to do this. So they had a cease and desist order. Um, Trump, of course, when the judges rule against him, always calls the decision political. Or he tries to say, well, that was an Obama judge. <laughs> like, okay, but a lot of the judges that have made rulings against you are not Obama judges. Um are you going to uh, obey the Constitution or not? And I think it's kind of strange when the market response to all these tariff threats is to have the chairman of the Federal Reserve come out, issue a statement that's quite mild, quite Fed Reserve orientated uh, in the middle of the week that saw the market make a big comeback under the speculation that the Federal Reserve would cut interest rates by a quarter percent or 50, you know, 0.5 percent, uh, because interest rates are still quite low. 
So all Powell did was make a statement, we're monitoring the situation. <laughs> That's what they do. There's nothing special there. But it's it's fascinating that the market rally at the end of last week was in response to the threat of tariffs that were going to hurt the economy more, create inflation here in America, raise the cost of uh, goods and services for American consumers, i.e. that Americans are going to pay for the tariffs, not Mexicans, uh, Americans. That's universally agreed upon. And this is the problem with the China uh, card that Trump is playing. That's simply not going anywhere, uh, if you'll notice. The concerns internationally about the global economy, I mean, if anything, the entities that should be giving Trump a big pat on the back are the Greens, because Trump is reducing total trade uh, globally, and this is creating the slowdown. Now, not every statistic is completely revealing, but we've had, for instance, um, construction spending has been kind of in decline since the impact of the tax cut. We've seen durable goods flat for six months. So we've seen the impact of these tariffs on American manufacturing. We had, of course, a jobs report on Friday that was weaker than expected with some revisions downward uh, from previous months, which I might add suggests that the initial reports of growth that Trump was uh, wanted to have a parade about. <laughs> I can't wait for that 4th of July parade, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's talk about that. Like, I can't even think about that right now. Is That's going to be... Weenie Reifenstahl going <laughs> to... Right. Be resurrected... And the fact that he's acting like it's his idea to have a big fireworks thing at 4th of July. It's like, right. oh, I know what we'll do. We'll have a big celebration. Uh, gee, I've been around for over 50 years, and pretty much we have one every year. Sure. All across the country. Every town in America, That's right. You can drive down 94 and see fireworks going off across the farmland of sure. this great American state. Uh, it, we, we do that already. And, of course, by golly, if they if you go back and you attribute the, uh, well, at least we don't bang pots in America. In America. That's, that's a protest that occurs in a lot of countries uh, when they uh, deal with economic conditions that are going south. But uh, it was John Adams, of course, that suggested <laughs> that we have a big day of celebration and let off fireworks and ring bells and. Dance on horses and that sort of thing. Uh, goes back to our founding fathers, by golly. It's not a not a Trump uh, Trump idea at all. And, you know, the impact of the tax cuts at this point are, are quite well established. Massive budget deficits, a little bit of a stimulus uh, in the uh, second quarter of last year. But that hangover is wearing off. I think it's even an understatement to say simply massive deficits because they are snowballing sure that's what they're doing it's getting worse with each passing week and of course the you know this is a serious problem you know when you have one of the problems in america i think at the moment is our real problems are just remain unaddressed 
Now, it's good to see Michael Bloomberg pledging $500 million to shut down coal plants. That's something that should be happening anyway. As a matter of, like, national policy. And it is, to some extent. But this may accelerate that a bit. Um, Well, uh, the story last week about the... uh Trump wanting to bend over backwards to make life easier for uh, industry, uh, but he's gone further than they've even asked. What's the uh, Friday's New York Times car makers urge Trump to retool pollution policy because he doesn't understand how their industry functions. Nope. And this will certain states have stricter requirements uh, that currently are met sort of by all you know national manufacturer standards. Uh, this attempt by Trump to, hey, I'm going to make it easy for you guys to make cars that uh, pollute more, uh, is actually going to split the industry and uh, drive costs uh, astronomically through the roof. Well, and they and they don't want to do that. They want to have a negotiated uh, agreement between California and the Trump administration because, let's face it, one out of eight, roughly, Americans live in California. It's even more than that. Um, There's a reason why that drives the national standard. Those are the numbers. Sure. And California knows that it has smog problems, uh, part of its geography. Um, Mexico City has a terrible smog problem. There are certain cities, you know, that are low-lying where the the, the smog literally gets trapped by the mountains around uh, certain areas. And when you hear that Donald Trump, uh, to quote, help the corn farmers in America that are being impacted by this horrific flooding that's going on, uh, that Trump hasn't said a word about, (laughs) to my knowledge. Uh, And, you know, they're not Nancy Pelosi. The corrupts are, I don't know, they've got like two days and. There's a lot of places in America underwater, and some of these farmers have flood insurance or crop insurance, and some of them don't. So we're going to have another uh, um, agricultural crisis under Donald Trump. He's not doing anything to help um, farmers in America. Even this latest tariff thing, you know, to me, probably the real story was that Mitch McConnell— Mr. Woodchuck, uh, probably told Trump through, um, you know, private uh, parties, emissaries, so to speak, that if he persisted with this tariff idea, that Congress would simply take the power away from the president. Because, you know, if you actually read the Constitution, the Commerce Clause gives Congress the power to um, basically regulate trade. This is one of those classic instances where Congress passed the buck, gave the executive, this was many years ago, this fast-track authority. Well, what did we see a couple of weeks ago? Trump decides, I'm going to pick on India. (laughs) You know, Modi just got reelected. Apparently, the most favored trading status that India has, they're not, as he put it, they're not a developing country anymore, which is ridiculous. They are <laughs> in, in, in so many ways. Uh, this is a country that's got 1.3 uh, billion people. It's going to be larger than China in five years. 
And Trump is throwing away goodwill here. For what? So we sell like a thousand, not even a thousand Harley Davidsons. All this is about the hog. <laughs> and then he goes on and he mentions that India should buy more beef. <laughs> you know, like he doesn't know. <laughs> I mean, that was the same thing where he was sitting down in that improv setup they did out at the airport uh, in Ireland where practically the first thing out of his mouth is, oh, uh, we need a wall. You guys know all about walls here. Exhibiting not even the, the faintest bit of understanding about the historic strife between Northern and, sure, you know, the rest of Ireland. Which is uh, part of the Brexit which is snafu. Which is part of the Brexit snafu yeah. because Ireland is a European Union member. Northern Ireland might no longer be. Uh, and that has serious uh, economic implications uh, for the people of Ireland. And the Irish prime minister very quickly said, well, you really it's better to talk to people than to build a wall. I mean, right. We've, yes, we've, we've got a wall. It's up in Scotland. It's called Hadrian's Wall. That's right. <laughs> that didn't work so good either. It's going downhill. I, You know, I. Trump's obsession with walls is is fascinating. I, you know, I don't know that he's been to the Great Wall of China. Uh, Nixon apparently uh, thought it, it to be one of the most impressive things he's ever seen because, you know, allegedly you can see the Great Wall of China from outer space. space. Yeah. It's it's that big. Uh, but uh, my goodness, we have jet airplanes. We got helicopters. <laughs> We got helicopters that crash into buildings in Manhattan, like happened today. Um, and we got boats <laughs> and, and people in Guatemala, you know, and, and Guatemala, of course, is where it's happening because of the geography. Honduras, mm -hmm. um, El Salvador, You to get to Mexico, to get to the United States by land, you got to go through Guatemala. These countries are suffering a tremendous economic um uh, degradation over the years because of America's foreign policy. What I didn't see in this agreement with Mexico is what is America agreeing to? Are we making agreements to help these countries with their economies? We, we have repeated reports of, of Guatemalans fleeing their country because the climate doesn't allow them to grow food uh, the way it used to in some areas. Uh, these are real problems. Where Where is the uh, commitment from the United States to deal with the guns problem that's allowing Mexico to become this uh, horrific place? They had a report, by the way, and these are the <clears throat> types of people that Trump hangs out with and likes and regards as allies. There's going to be a U.N. In inquiry into the Philippines mm -hmm. uh, since Duterte, one of Trump's only friends, has come into power, there have been allegedly twenty to 30,000 extrajudicial killings. Bonacero in Brazil, it's gone up over 500. These are like police that are going around executing people without trials. Yeah, in Saudi Arabia, they imprison children and women who drive. Yeah, and and where's, you know, we hear a lot about, oh, this is going on in China. 
of course, some of it is. Well, speaking of China, real quickly, as we are approaching the end of the uh, show, Jerry's uh, arrived, and Yazoo City Calling will be following shortly. Uh, obviously, the, the D-Day commemorations are hugely important and significant, sure. especially in the context of this erratic president's irregular attitude towards our historic allies and the accomplishments that we have shared with them. Uh, but I think the Tiananmen Square uh, rebellion anniversary was kind of overshadowed uh, yeah. by all the D-Day celebrations. And that's unfortunate because all that social pressure within China from 1989, it did not go away. I mean, it was suppressed. It was pushed down. But that's an as of yet unresolved issue in China's socio-economic political fabric. I mean, the uh, weekend protests in Hong Kong demonstrate the extent to which people will go out and continue to voice those attitudes and opinions when they have the opportunity. Right. And you could also count on the fact during the D-Day celebrations. And, of course, one of the reasons it was important this year is these are some of the last surviving uh, soldiers that actually participated in the right in the amphibious uh, landing of uh, of uh, Western Europe, the Soviet Union was sort of omitted from the conversation. Well, I found it fascinating that Xi Jinping was was in Moscow and Saint Petersburg meeting with Putin uh -huh. for three days. Uh, Trump is 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 kind of missing a big change in what's going on globally with regard to the United States. Obviously, the British public, he's more unpopular in Britain than he is in America. You know, his approval rating's in the upper 20s. So, of course, there's protests. Of course, there's baby Trump, uh, the balloon with the... Diaper balloon, yeah. The cell phone and... Yeah. My favorite is, how dare you comb over here. That's right. <laughs> how dare you comb over here. And it's too bad there weren't a lot of people in the in the crowd holding up uh, USS McCain signs, right. <laughs> possibly in Russian, so that Trump would actually understand what was going on. But China and and the so and uh, and Putin are moving closer together. The Western European EU is obviously in total opposition to what Trump is trying to do on so many fronts. Mm -hmm. Whether it's global warming, uh, attacking their agricultural sector, saying, you know, you should not be subsidizing your farmers. Well, we subsidize ours. There's all kinds of reasons that countries want to protect their indigenous farmers. Uh, food is an important security issue for all countries. Uh, as much local produce and grain and dairy and whatnot can uh, be, you know, Grown at home is, is great. But to call out for the Indians to buy more beef, my God. The cow is sacred there. That's right. It's sacred. I mean, it's almost as if Trump should call up Netanyahu and ask him. Why don't you guys eat more pork? That's right. We, it's we, delicious. We have a pork problem. The Chinese are not buying our pork. The, the frozen pork belly futures are in the toilet. Come on, BB. Get going. <laughs> The, the, this is Donald Trump for you. He's so ignorant of other countries' interests. And what I really think is has kind of come into clarity in the last uh, month or two is the entire resistance around the world to Trump's agenda. It really is 
quite interesting. Uh, America's never been held in lower standing, and uh, it, it's like the climate accord in, in the Paris.